0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm grateful that we are here gathering together today uh, out in the lobby. A lot of us have been saying Happy New Year already, so Happy New Year uh, to you. We want to welcome those of you that are in the room. We also want to welcome those of you that are live online right now. Uh, Donna and Eli are online and Linda and a few other people, so welcome. Uh, We also want to welcome anyone that might be watching or listening later on in the week. Uh, And our special welcome today for any guests that are with us. We have prayed for you. We really want this to be a low-pressure environment for you, and so we've developed a few avenues uh, to serve you and answer any questions that you may have. Uh, In fact, the next few minutes are primarily for you, our guests. Uh, One way that we hope to serve you is by connecting with you, and what we found is the best way to do that is for you to share your information with us so that we can follow up with you, get feedback from you. Now, anyone, not just guests, can update their info or be added to the email list, and there are Two ways to do that. Uh, the first of which is by hard copy. So you can fill out the info card in the pocket of the chair in front of you and if you do that um, you can put it in the offering box on your way out. A uh, second way to connect with us uh, with info card is electronically. So if you'd like to complete an info card that way you can do so on the next steps page of our website or by using the Version app. It's one of the apps that we absolutely love here at Centerway. The app is super useful Uh, during the gathering to follow along, to take notes, uh, even give on that app if you'd like to. Um, You can also make Centerway your church. Now, one of the cool things uh, that we can do if you do that is that we can um, push content to to those of you that make Centerway their church so you can keep up with reading plans, even announcements and things like that, you know? Uh, So it's a really cool community to be a part of. I love checking that out. Those of you that have made Centerway your church, I kind of, you know, Bible app stalk you and see what verses you're you're, uh, highlighting and all that fun stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, Now, I already mentioned giving through the app. And of course, we don't expect our guests to give at all today. Uh, But if you attend regularly and you prefer not to use the app, you can use an envelope in front of you and place that in the Centerway offering box. Or uh, you can give by going to the Give tab of our website. Now uh, it is New Year's Eve, and it's an exciting day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, But today is a unique day in that we have just finished our Advent series, and we begin a new series next week. And so today is a standalone message, which is something we rarely do. We don't typically do that here at Centerway, but we are really excited to prepare our hearts for all that 2024 has for us. And so uh, you still have all the same resources on uh, online, so you can connect and engage throughout the week. We have. Wallpapers, uh, Spotify playlists, social media channels, all those things. Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that can get pushed right to your inbox if you subscribe to that, or they're right on the website. Um, As well. Now, today's message and resources are going to be posted um, under an additional week of In Light and Darkness. You can find those there online. Uh, But as typical, you can find all of that on the messages page of our website. And if you're looking to take a next step in your faith, uh, in discovering faith, in your journey with Jesus, um, you can visit the next steps area in the back of our uh, space. Um, or that same page of our website. There are a number of ways continuing to learn to follow Jesus, and we'd love to help you in that journey. It's what we love to do here at Centerway. Finally, if you have questions, if you have feedback, ideas, or you need prayer for anything, the best way to connect with us is through email. It's connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Claude is going to be communicating from the Bible. Then after that, we're going to respond to the word by worshiping through song. You excited that 2023 is done and gone. (laughs) I'm sure God did some incredible things in your life. There's some things you might want to forget, but as we turn the calendar, let's remember that God is still faithful and he'll continue to be every day of our lives. Why don't we bow our heads and hearts and just believe God uh, to meet with us in this place. Lord, we are gathered here, not because we want to go through the ritual and routine of a Sunday morning, but God, we desperately need you. And Lord, it feels fitting on this last day of 2023 that we would gather together, Lord, to connect with the God of the universe. Lord, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. And as we prepare our hearts or even our minds, uh, Lord, to connect with you, I pray that you would reveal more of who you are through your word, through your spirit. God, let uh, your word come alive today in our hearts and lives and do what only you can do in our lives as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Eric. Good morning and welcome, everyone. Uh, Excited for those of you that are able to be with us. I know we have a lot of people that are traveling because of the holidays and some people that have fallen ill, um, definitely keeping them in our hearts and prayers. Um, For those of you who don't know, my name is Claude. My wife, Meredith, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. And uh, like I have already mentioned, I'm excited that you have the opportunity to be with us this morning and in only incredible fashion. My my phone is not connecting to anything. So here we go. We got it. Don't worry. The Bible still works because my phone does. Amazing technology, right? So today we're beginning, uh, we're right between two series, as Eric just alluded to. He just mentioned uh, the reality. I'll kind of reiterate a little bit. Um, we wrapped up our Advent series with an amazing Christmas gathering. If you weren't able to be here, it really was an incredible evening. And uh, next Sunday, we start uh, the new year with a new series that will um, kind of wrap up the rest of the book of Nehemiah. And so you'll hear more about that. You won't want to miss that. It's going to be um, a great series. So we're excited for that. But today's talk um, is a standalone, as he's already mentioned. And it'll bridge the gap of the Christmas story, which was revealed through the historical narrative of Ezra, which we just completed. And, um, and then it's going to pick up uh, as the, the narrative of Nehemiah um, kind of concludes next week or begins its conclusion, I guess I should say. Uh, throughout both books, to give a little bit of preface as to why it is I'm going to be sharing what I'm going to be sharing today, uh, throughout both books, there's a lot of discussion about the temple, uh, the temple that was being built, the temple that had been built, uh, the wall around the city, the temple in the city. And uh, that kind of led me into a little bit of personal study about, um, about the temple Uh, when it existed, how it existed, how it came about, uh, which led me a little bit into uh, the precursor of the temple, which if you are not aware is the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, for lack of a better uh, explanation, was a a tent. It was a a temple that was mobile until the nation of Israel was able to build a physical structure uh, for a temple. And, uh, my personal devotional time with God and, uh, and Scripture led me to a deeper look onto a, a, what I would typically do as a word study. And so I did a word study on Tabernacle, and that kind of journey through those books led me to that. So. I'm I'm telling you all of that because after some prayer and discussion with Meredith, I decided that today's talk as a standalone um, would be a journey through what it is that I discovered and the Lord revealed to me as I studied on that topic that kind of bridged these two books as it kind of is timely because we're bridging the two books. In case you've missed me, say that like four times now. Um, The... uh, uh, And so it it led me, the word study led me to an unlikely place, or what I would have articulated as an unlikely place, and that's the New Testament. You don't really figure that you'll find anything about the tabernacle, per se, in the New Testament. And so that's why I was intrigued by it, and I lent in more. And so more specifically, it led me to John chapter 1, verse 14. And so today's talk is entitled, Looking Forward, uh, because we're obviously beginning a new year. It makes a lot of sense to be looking forward. Um, But we're going to be doing a deep dive into just a single verse a single verse. It's uh, John chapter one, verse 14. So I'll read that for you right now. It says this, and the Lord, uh, sorry, and the word, I messed up one verse, (laughs) the first three words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the beginning part of this verse, it says, and the word, Became flesh and the Word. So the Word is—it's actually a a Greek word, um, and it's where we get our English word uh, logic or reason from. So this 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 word word. Uh, is where we derive our word for logic or reason. And it's, a, it's kind of a loaded, it was a loaded word at the time in the Greco-Roman world. History tells us that philosophers in that time used this word to refer to the reason for being. The reason for being. So the argument was that no one could fully understand anything properly without knowing its reason for being. It sounds kind of like common sense, but allow me to illustrate. Uh, I had a job uh, in the hardware department of Sears uh, when I was in my college years. And uh, one of the guys, I can't remember his name for the life of me, I can picture his face, but he came in just... I rate one day. Um, he was so angry, so angry. And I mean, he was a rather foul-mouthed individual anyway, but he was uniquely foul-mouthed that morning and throwing stuff around. And uh, we're like, dude, calm down. And he's like, you know what happened? Well, you know what? Let me show you what happened. And so we we hadn't opened up the, the store yet. We were just prepping things. He goes, come out here, come out here. So he files us outside. And uh, it, I grew up in Syracuse area and so very well accustomed to snow and if you've been around the area any amount of time, you know what it's like to come out and see your car uh, just encased in ice, right? You've experienced that at some point. And so it was one of those mornings. There had been some freezing rain and it had resulted in just our vehicles being cased in ice. So we come out and uh, as we come outside, he goes, look at my car. Look at it. And there are scratches like gouges all over this vehicle. It looks like somebody has taken a rake, like a solid metal rake, and just dragged it all over, like in uniform lines, just all over his vehicle. And he was one of those guys that was super proud about his vehicle. And he's like, you believe this? You believe this is going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm like, what happened? (laughs) Like, what did you drive through? What, what in the world took place? And uh, he said, well, my girlfriend thought she would help me out this morning. And so she came out and decided that she would just scrape the ice off my vehicle. And so I came out and it looked like this. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just scraping the car off. And he goes, with what? And he goes, you know what she says? You know what she says? And of course it was far more colorful of a conversation than this. And I was like, oh, what'd she say? And of course the other guys are laughing and stuff. He goes, she said, I used the scraper. He goes, hold on, let me show you the scraper. And so he goes over, <laughs> he opens up his car, and he pulls out a screwdriver. <laughs> and he goes, because obviously, this is the ice scraper. And I was like, wait, <laughs> she thought that was the ice scraper? He goes, she says, I didn't know what that was for, but it's flat and hard. I figured it's to scrape the ice. So this woman scraped his vehicle <laughs> with a screwdriver and, and utterly destroyed the entire side and hood of his vehicle before he could come out and stop her. It was unbelievable. You just, when you see something like that, you think, how could somebody do that? How could somebody not understand that what they're doing is the worst idea ever? It's a perfect illustration of using something that is not for its intended purpose. So it's not its reason for being. The screwdriver does not exist, in case you didn't know this, kids, (laughs) it does not exist to scrape off a vehicle with ice. That's not its intended purpose. It's supposed to screw screws in. That's what you use it for. It's, that's its reason for being. When you use things outside of their reason for being, it's not efficient and damage is done. Okay? So the question I want us to start with as we continue to move through this one verse this morning is this. Why do we sometimes struggle with our purpose? Why do we sometimes struggle with our purpose? And I want to tell you, that's a human condition a human condition christian or not we struggle with why are we here why are we doing what we're doing are we just going through the motions what is this life all about what is my purpose we call it all different things midlife crisis we call we can go through the list of all the different things that we call it but we all struggle at different points and different seasons of our lives like what is this all about what's my purpose I want to submit to you that humanity sometimes struggles with our purpose because we don't understand our reason for being. We don't understand our reason for being. In those moments, in those windows where we have almost a crisis of identity, where we wonder what it's all about, what it's all for, in those moments we have forgotten or we have never known our reason for being. So in a very real way, we misuse our lives. We misuse it. We, we use our lives for things that it was not intended for. And as a result, we hurt ourselves. We hurt others. Because we aren't functioning with clarity around our reason for being. In a very real way, we're like a screwdriver being dragged across paint. Like, wouldn't you think... <laughs> Wouldn't you think the first time you just reveal some metal underneath the car paint that you're like, I probably have the wrong thing? Or, like, maybe I shouldn't be pushing quite as hard. No, I mean, you could tell, like, she leaned into this thing, like, just carved it up. Of course, one could also say, wouldn't you think the first time you use your words as a weapon and you see the look on somebody's face then maybe it would cause you pause. Wouldn't you think the first time that a door slammed and tears are shed, that you'd think, "Maybe I went a little too far?" The list goes on. You see, we misuse our lives. We misuse our reason for being. Don't get me wrong. We pursue all of the possibilities. We pursue all of the possibilities of why it is that we might be on this planet. And every time, every one of our pursuits leave us feeling empty. We have moments. We have moments where we feel a sense of fullness. But it's fleeting. And we go through the cycle again. Maybe I didn't earn enough. Maybe uh, it's not new enough. Maybe it's not nice enough. Maybe there's just the wrong person, the problem isn't the, the things that I'm pursuing or the places that I'm looking for love in, it's just the wrong person. And so if I had the right person, this would make sense. If I had the right job, it would make sense. If I went to the right college, if I was the starter instead of just on the team, if I made the team instead of being cut, then I would, oh my goodness, all the things would fall into place. The list goes on and it's every single one of us in this room. We've all been in the cycle of trying to figure out what's our reason for being, and our identity gets wrapped up in that. It gets linked to things, and in moments that things go wrong, our identity is like, it's up for grabs. We're left feeling empty. You see, unless we know our reason, we can't live life to the fullest. Now, that's not super profound. It's not super profound, but its implications can be profound. Unless we know our reason for being, we can't live life to the fullest. It's not a new thought. It's not even an inherently Christian thought. When John wrote this, uh, this book, The Gospel According to John, Greek philosophers, including the likes of Plato and even Aristotle, had been debating this very topic for literal years. In fact, at the time, there was an increasing opinion that, in fact, there was no reason for life. That there was no reason for life at all. It had been so highly debated. It had been so much discussed. There had been so many shortfalls and so many issues that they said, you know what? Maybe the reason is there is no reason. And so, therefore, the conclusion is let's live life for pleasure. What makes you happy? In fact, the more noble thing is let's make others happy. It's just really about happiness. If it's just about happiness and love then just live for yourself and live for others. Live for the moment. Live for what you want. It's interesting, kind of sounds familiar, right? (laughs) History repeats itself. We're in a season yet again Generation after generation where it's like people come to the end of themselves. They've tried to fill the gaps in their life so much that they say, you know what, maybe the answer is there is no answer and we'll just, we'll just enjoy the moment. Just do it, right? Nike coined that phrase. Just enjoy it. Just live life for what feels right right now. There's no harm. As long as you don't hurt anybody, as long as you're a nice person, I mean, come on. A philosopher by the name of Epicurus embraced this approach. And uh, it led ultimately to people dedicating their lives to physical enjoyment. And they were called the Epicureans. Maybe you've heard that if you've studied history at all. In fact, it's not only a historical uh, philosophy. It's one that runs throughout today, whether they would identify themselves as Epicureans or not. They're people that pursue just physical pleasure. We see it even within scripture. The Apostle Paul addresses the Epicureans at Mars Hill in uh, the book of Acts. And so we see that this reality, this thought was deep in the culture then, and it's deep in our culture today. Listen, humanity pursuing whatever makes them feel good isn't new, and it never delivers. Because whatever feels good is fleeting. And oftentimes it comes with a wave of regret and a wondering, well, what is it really for? So now with a little more context, when John says, and the word became flesh, when he says that at the beginning of verse 14, he's saying, the reason for being became human. The reason for being became human. So to Christians, if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, and you're hearing this for us, it would mean that he's saying that God became human. That God became human, which of course is the story of Christmas, right? And John is saying that, but he's also saying something much deeper. He's saying something much deeper that the original readers would have understood and it might be missing in our kind of Western ears. He's saying the meaning of life has been embodied, that humanity has a greater purpose. So John is leaning into the philosophy of the day and he's saying you're searching for for logic. You're searching for the reason of being. You're searching as to why it is that humanity exists and I want to proclaim to you that the reason for being has been embodied. That's a profound thought that kind of tipped the philosopher's thoughts, and got people's attention. What do you mean? The reason for being became human? The example of the reason of life has dwelt among us? He's saying the meaning of life has been embodied and that humanity has a greater purpose. We, you specifically, myself, are part of a larger story that's being written. It's a powerful concept. It was a powerful concept then, and it's a powerful concept now, because if we're part of something greater, then just our moments of pleasure are really rather empty for obvious reasons, because we're a part of a larger story. Our one and only life has more meaning than maybe we realize, which is actually rather exciting, Because that's the the longing of our heart. That's the desire of our heart. It's the reason why it continues to come up throughout our lives, no matter the season of our life. It's why we always reflect and question because in the, the core of who we are, we want this life to matter. We want what it is that we do to make sense, to be a part of something greater. We are. We're part of a larger story that's being written. And he goes on. He goes on and he says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. The word dwelt is what actually brought me to this verse in my studying. Uh, Get this. uh, John could have used several different Greek words, and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so he could have used several different Greek words meaning dwelt, meaning being present, uh, being with us. There's about four or five that I came up with that could have fit right in here and made the same amount of sense. But he chose something unique. And it's the reason, like I said, why I came upon this verse. He uses a word that's from the Septuagint. So the Septuagint is the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Then it was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And so when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, that Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And what's interesting is John uses a word from the Septuagint that means dwelt among us. But it's actually the Greek Old Testament word for tabernacle. Super powerful super powerful if you're connecting some of the dots of what it is that John is trying to talk about. In other words, he's not just saying the reason for being came and and walked with us. He's not saying that. He's saying this, verse 14, he's saying the reason for being became human and tabernacled among us and tabernacled. Now, the reason why that's powerful is because the tabernacle was the place that God's presence dwelt. The tabernacle was also a place of sacrifice. So this verse is conveying something extremely powerful to the original readers and to us today. You see, the story is one that began at Christmas with Jesus's birth, but he lived the sinless life that we can't. And then he died the death that we deserve. And when he had victory over sin and death, Jesus, the reason for being, tabernacled among us. Through his sacrifice, we can now have access to God. It's, it's an incredibly powerful statement that John is making. He's saying you're, you're running after purpose, you're running after reason, and the reason has come and tabernacled amongst us, has sacrificed and given us access to God. That's the gospel. And it's the story that is the reason that all other stories move us. You heard me right. (laughs) The story of the gospel is the reason that all other stories move us. Any story that moves you moves you because it's echoing the gospel. When I was in college, Bible college, uh, my undergrad, I had to take uh, three theology classes: Theo One, Theo Two, Theo Three. They were profoundly named. <laughs> I don't remember if it was Theo 1 or Theo 2, but it was early on in the theology courses that uh, one of my professors, a rather brilliant man, um, he said, uh, I'm gonna give you an opportunity for extra credit. And it was an extremely difficult course. And he said, what I I want you to do is I want you to spend this break looking at movies. He said, because I know you're gonna watch movies. And I want you to find the movie that reveals the gospel. I want you to write a one-page paper about how it reveals the gospel, and you're only allowed one shot at this, one story. If you get it right, you'll get the extra credit. Brilliant dude. Because it started this whole discussion amongst all of us, like... Which movie is it? There's so many movies from the beginning of time. And so we all started talking about it. We went on break and some people, of course, in typical collegiate fashion was like, I'm not doing extra credit. (laughs) So there are definitely people that dismissed it altogether. But there were those of us that leaned in and said, what movie could it be? We came back with definitive arguments and every single one of us had a different movie we wanted to argue for. Every one of us told the story about how there was this This plight, this issue that no one could solve. That it just could not become resolved. And that one person in the midst of it all, at their own sacrifice, at their own demise, rose above all else and laid down their life or laid down their comfort, had some form of sacrifice for the greater good of all. And everyone was moved as a result. The story of the gospel told time and time again in every single one of the movies we watched. And the professor came together and said, who thinks they found the movie? And all these hands went up. And he said, if you wrote a story about a movie and you proclaimed the gospel in it, you earned extra credit. And of course, the people that disengaged were like, what? No. He said, because every story reveals humanity's desire for a savior and that's why the stories move us and if you have a story if you watch a movie and you're like that is one of the worst movies ever it wasn't compelling it wasn't moving it wasn't anything it's because it did not reveal the gospel but the ones that move us tell the story of the gospel I know I've lost you for the next five minutes because you guys are like wait a second hang on uh I don't know you go through all the different things. My kids, since you know, since they were very young, we talk about this and we'll talk about it and now they're identifying the gospel and all these stories. Like, oh wow, I wonder if he'll lay down his life for everybody else, you know? <laughs> totally ruined Iron Man for everyone, right? <laughs> like this narcissist that against all odds says, I will sacrifice myself. Like, that doesn't happen in real life, right? It happens because The reason why it's believable is what I should say. The reason why it's believable and the reason why people are like emotional over ridiculous Iron Man is because it's telling the story of the gospel. We're moved. Humanity they cry out for it. They write it in Hollywood, in every area, every book that you've read, everything that, that moves you. It's crying out for a savior, for one that, that lays down their life for everyone else, that at their own cost, you'll, I, I wrecked you for every movie you'll ever watch. <laughs> but in an amazing way, you'll be far more moved. You see, heroes inspire us. They inspire us. And those that don't know the gospel just chalk it up to, well, it's a hero. There's a heroine. There's a climax and there's a heroine or a hero. And and they just break it down, but it's the gospel. The problem with heroes is that when we have heroes to us, they kind of crush us. Because we look at a hero and we think, I'll never do that. That's so compelling. I could never possibly do that. And so we put them on a pedestal, we declare them a hero, but we're crushed by them in some way. We're crushed by them because we know every day that we will never be the hero that they are. We're simply not capable. And so I want to tell you a word of caution. If you've been exposed to Christendom, if you've been exposed to the things of God, And Jesus is simply a hero to you. He'll just be an example of how you'll always fall short. And so if you understand Jesus, but you don't understand the gospel, Jesus will crush you. The idea of a hero to you will say, I can never be without sin. I can never be as good as Jesus. I will always fall short. I'll never be the Christian that God wants me to be. It's... It's too hard. If you equate following Jesus to difficulty, then you do not understand the gospel. You've turned it into a performance. Jesus is a hero to you. You see, there's heroes to us, and then there's heroes for us. Heroes to us will crush us. How about heroes for us? I'll share another brief story, a movie called Saving Private Ryan. Um, It's a a movie that was highly acclaimed in, in 1998. It is a very gruesome movie because it depicts World War II, and so there's a lot of violence in it, so I'm not telling you to necessarily watch that movie. I'm simply saying that it is a very accurate depiction of the struggle of World War II and it's a perfect illustration for what I'm trying to communicate today. In 1998, the movie was set in uh, 1944, France. And it's reflecting on World War II. It's not a true story but it's based on some uh, true accounts. It follows a group of soldiers led by Tom Hanks. Um, uh, Tom Hanks, the actor, just to be clear. (laughs) Um, I am going to ruin the movie, so if you don't want to, uh, to know the movie ending or anything like that, then um, sorry. <laughs> Tom Hanks is, is leading this group of soldiers, and they're on a mission by a directive from their commanding officer, and the commanding officer has told them to locate the actor Matt Damon and bring him home safely. And the reason is Matt Damon's three brothers have been killed in action. And so he is the final male offspring of his parents. And so at the time, um, there was a rule that they wouldn't allow a family to come to an end if they could avoid it. And so they send this group of men to go rescue Matt Damon and bring him home safely. What's interesting is Matt Damon didn't ask to be saved. And so they're annoyed by what it is they have to do. And he is reluctant to be saved, saying, leave me alone. And They're like, no, come on, we're sent here to save you. And so they go through uh, the entire movie, and I'll spare you all the details. One by one, several of the people of this group led by Tom Hanks lay down their lives for the purpose of saving Matt Damon. And all the while, Matt Damon is feeling more and more guilt. And the movie kind of crescendos on a bridge where Tom Hanks takes some bullets. He takes some fire, and he's leaning against a vehicle, and he's gasping for air. And air support has come and has saved them. They're now rescued. Matt Damon is going to be safely returned to his family. And he goes over to Tom Hanks and he leans down and Tom Hanks grabs him and he pulls him close and there's this amazing moment where he looks at Matt Damon and he's breathing his last and he says, earn this. Matt Damon's like, what? And he pulls him closer and he goes, earn this. And then he dies. It's this incredible moment where Matt Damon's character is filled with this pressure of the idea that he has to somehow now live his life to justify and earn the fact that others have laid down their lives for him. And the movie ends where he's an old man at Tom Hanks' um, not funeral, headstone. He's at his headstone and he looks at his wife And he says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. And there's tears streaming down his face. And she goes, you're a good man. And he looks back and he tells Tom Hanks, I hope I've earned this. It's this moving, moving story. And the reason it's moving is because it's echoing the gospel with a slight perversion. It's echoing the gospel of what it looks like To have a hero for us, a hero for him, changed him, caused him to live differently. Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. He lived every day with those words echoing in his mind, is what the character says. Heroes for us change how we live. heroes for us still crush us. Because a hero for us makes us feel like we need to earn something that we feel we never can. When someone lays down their life for us, when someone sacrifices for us, when someone goes without for us, you, you know what that's like. We've lived our life enough to see someone else sacrifice for our own health, for our own stability, for our joy, for whatever it might be. And with it comes a wave of guilt, right? So we have heroes to us that crush us because we can never be as good as them. And then we have heroes for us that crush us because we can never earn that which they have done. And so we're just stuck in this middle ground of being crushed at all turns. And I want to tell you, if Jesus is a hero for you, but you don't understand the gospel, you'll be crushed with the expectation that you need to earn your salvation. But that's not what the gospel says gospel says that jesus earned it for us he earned it and so we simply walk in it and so suddenly we have a hero that's to us a hero for us a hero that has earned it and has said now go and live differently i want to tell you the truth of the gospel sets us free It says it's free from the expectations of trying to come up with what it is that we should do and what it is that we should be. Instead, we can be free to live our lives in line with the gospel. That's life to the fullest. That's life on mission. Our purpose is to bring glory to God with our lives that with our lives we would bring glory to him. You want joy? You want meaning and fulfillment? Then don't live for the things that pass away. Don't don't live for the things that will rot or rust or die. Don't live for the things that as you try to grasp, they just fade away. Live your one and only life to bring glory to God because of who he is and that which he has done. Walk in the freedom that is the truth of the gospel. Jesus is a hero for you who did all of the earning. Allow the gospel to inform how you live. Imagine. Imagine at the beginning of a journey, you could go in with just like a clean slate. It's amazing. The more living I do, the more I wish I could go back and redo. You know, like I don't actually want to because of all the hurts and pains and exhaustion of it all, but it's like, oh my gosh, I would do that different. I would have enjoyed that moment more. I would have paused a little bit and breathed it in. With a new year comes a new beginning. You can't go back and redo that which you've done. But you can begin 2024 with an awareness of the truth of the gospel and allow it to inform how you live your life from this moment forward. And you might say, yeah, but I have so much regret. I have so much pain, I have so much hurt. I have so many things I want to redo. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus earned that which you cannot, and so he has redeemed and forgiven your past. And so from this moment forward, you say, he makes all things new. So the word that became flesh is dwelling amongst us. And so Jesus present in our lives allows us to have a decision-making grid that informs all that we do, all that we live for, how we spend our time, our talent, our treasure, all that we lean into, all of, of the hopes, all of the dreams. We get a fresh start. And so I want to challenge you to pause, to consider the implications of John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. A hero to us and a hero for us that earned all that can be earned so that we can be free to live life to the fullest. So we say every week that the text requires something of us. And so I want us to contemplate a question, an application as we go into a time of song, and worship response. And the question is this, how does the gospel inform how I will live in 2024? I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to talk with the people that you care about in your sphere of influence that you care for in your sphere of influence, your children, your spouses, your friends, your family, whomever it might be, maybe just in the quietness of your own mind, taking time to journal and just wrestle with how does the gospel inform how I will live in 2024? What needs to change? Not because we're mustering up the effort, not because we're being crushed by the expectation, But because we understand the truth of the gospel and it has set us free to the point where we realize, God, whatever it is that you ask, I'm in. You want it? It's yours. Go there? I'm there. (laughs) Do this. The answer is yes. God, you have my yes. Imagine the power of that. Where we trust our hero enough. To say, you have my yes. Just simply ask, whatever it is, the answer is yes. How powerful that could be in 2024. I want to welcome you to bow your heads. If you'd like, you can close your eyes. I simply don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way forward this morning. So with your head bowed and potentially your eyes closed, how does the gospel inform how you live in 2024? For some of us, it means a surrender. It means a moment of salvation. It means a decision to surrender your one and only life. And so we want to provide space for that right now. If you've never done that before, it's not repeating a a certain number of words or a certain phrase. It's, It's acknowledging the fact that Jesus lived the life you couldn't and died the death you deserve. And so in the quietness of your mind right now, just simply ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Proclaim yourself a sinner. God, I'm a sinner, but you died for me. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Some version of that prayer begins a relationship between you and the Lord. And if you're praying that prayer right now, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you following the gathering. I'll be at the next steps area. Eric will be up here. If anybody needs prayer, you could talk to him up here or me in the back. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps so that this just isn't an emotional response. If you're watching live online right now and you're praying that prayer for the first time, we encourage you to to just click request prayer. You'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors. They'll talk to you about the next steps so that you can walk that journey the decision that you've just made. If you're watching or listening later on, please reach out. If you have any questions, you can always go to our Next Steps page on our website or you can uh, reach out via email through connect at centerwaychurch.com and we'd love to talk to you about your next steps as you learn to follow Jesus. For others of us, if you've already prayed that prayer, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then I, I wanna ask you, how does the gospel inform how you live in 2024? We, we never outpace the implications and the truth of the gospel. The gospel both wins us and it grows us, so it's a journey. And so if you're sitting there and you're saying, I have nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that the gospel will inform in 2024, then the self-righteousness that you have allowed to grip your heart needs to be broken because there's always more that God wants to do. Don't fall for the lie that you have accomplished some Upper level of holiness, there's still work that God wants to do in and through you. There's a narrative that He is writing. And so will you lean in? Maybe it looks like evaluating your priorities. Maybe if you say, listen, I I do that on a daily basis. I, I consider the implications of the gospel in my life on a daily basis then to you I would encourage what does it look like to live on mission like never before when was the last time you maybe had a spiritual conversation with someone in your sphere of influence maybe extended an invitation or expressed what it was to to love somebody even though at all turns it appears that they're your enemy how can you be the hands and feet of Jesus Let's pray as we declare ourselves available. Heavenly Father, we come before you. and We ask that the truth and the implications of the gospel would stir our hearts and minds. Lord, that you would inform how we live today, tomorrow, and the year ahead and the years ahead. Lord, that we would realize the implications of Jesus being the reason and the purpose for our life. The implications of the fact that that he tabernacled among us, that he was the sacrifice and that we can have relationship with you because of the person and work of Jesus. And so we receive that today, and we walk in it, and we ask that you would lead us and guide us. And the implications of that, it causes us to worship, compels us to worship you, Lord. And so we we begin by worshiping you in response. We ask you to lead us and guide us in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord together
0: us we'll stand together this morning worship. We'll <laughs>
1: lives would be a sweet sound to your ear, Lord. The way in which we live our lives, all that we do, would bring you joy, would bring you glory, would bring you honor. And so we lay our lives before you. We ask that you would protect us as we go our separate ways. As we leave this place we would be sent on mission. That we would be your hands and feet. Lord that we would begin new beginnings. We would be part, living our lives, leveraged in every way for your glory. Bring us together safely next week as we gather to hear from you again. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Just a reminder, today is obviously the last day of the year. So if you want tax credit in this calendar year, be sure that you give today, if that's your goal. Um, Otherwise, we will see you next week as we begin uh, a new series and wrapping up uh, the book of Nehemiah. If you'd like prayer for anything, Eric will make himself available and I'll be available at the Next Steps area. If you're a guest and have not met me yet, I'd love that. Uh, Otherwise, God bless you and we'll see you next week. Take care. Have a happy new year.